And so there's a few questions on citta, particularly relationship to the sense realm. Person doesn't quite understand why the Buddha recommends sense restraint. What harm does sense desire to the, to, to the citta? For example, everything's stated in the seventh precept. This is general decoration, beautification, adornments. Um, well, it just sends the citta on the wrong path, that's all. Um, we say the word desire. Desire, that's a certain motivation, it's a certain movement there's desire and uh, so when the desire moves towards the senses what's it moving towards sight sounds no I don't think so I think it's it's moving towards the sense of um, the idea or the sense or the uh, feeling we like that this will provide one with happiness and Probably for a moment it does, otherwise we wouldn't do it. The um, drawback is that for a start, sense objects are kind of outside of one's intimate domain. You've got to see something out there. So that definitely limits, because we don't have control over it sensory domain, some degree of it, but not much. You can't, can't really dictate what you're going to see or hear. And you'll probably see and hear un, unpleasant things as well as pleasant things. So if the jitta's looking out for a start, the chance of finding agreeable feeling through sense contact is limited. Such feeling as does arise is rather brief, because having seen something and derived some pleasure, then what next? So it's, it's a kind of short term, like a firework that spurts and then goes off. And sometimes it's just not available. You know, for example, if one is sick, um, it's an extreme example, but, uh, you know, any, any place we're at, we can't right now, perhaps we can't hear pleasant sounds. Unless you like the sound of traffic. So it's a limitation. And so it's always going out, you see. Now if the desire is turning the other way to where where is there happiness within, well that, that's gonna there's a possibility that, that could stay with you, right? Because <laughs> it's not out there, it's in here, you could say. It's in, in our mind or in our heart. So that means it's always possibly available. Now you might not find much happiness in there. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> and that, that's naturally that. That's the that's the difficulty. So the sense is to you know, use uh, one's practice to generate uh, pleasant, agreeable conditions internally, such as gratitude or compassion or uh, calming. Mm-hmm. Uh, that may start out feeling fairly minimal compared to more powerful sense input, but over the long run they build up. 
they build up and they're portable. You can take them everywhere. Even when you're sick, you can still reflect upon gratitude and, Ill and generosity and loving kindness. So it doesn't stop you experiencing those states. <clears throat> now, another person has drawn a little diagram. You can't see it, but actually what it does is it places chitta in the center and these nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, body consciousness, mind consciousness, ear consciousness, around it kind of shooting into it. You've got nose putting stuff into the chitta, right? Body. So they're saying, is this the correct? Not quite. <laughs> There's actually, Chitta only has um, two inputs, two channels. One of them is mind, manovinyana. So the Chitta doesn't actually receive sight or sound, it receives perceptions of sight. Not, it's not a thought, it means there's a quality called attention, you see, that shapes up and, and labels things. For example, when we're very small, you know, only six months old or so, we really don't know much about the world at all. We have a chitta, so you may pick up something that's poisonous and drink it because you don't understand, because you can't read. So your mano hasn't been able to give you a meaning. Or you can, you know, put your fingers into something that burns without really knowing because you don't know what a flame is when you're very small. But over a while, you build up this library of that's, that's painful, that's dangerous, that's electricity. Don't use water with electricity. <laughs> it's very dangerous. So you build up these perceptions. And of course, you see people, mother, father, smile, that's positive, frown, that's no bad, bad news. You know, so you, you build up this library to the point in which you imagine that you actually see things as they are because it, it's, the mind is so effective and so uh, active, but you don't. You see what your mind brings to your attention <laughs> and what it reminds you of. Yeah. What it reminds you of. Yeah. So you see shaped, oh that's a, that's a man oh that's my mother that's my cousin that, that does not arrive from the sight that arises from the mental label yeah. then you might look at something and think well, that's food or you might look at it, no, that's waste food <laughs> that's rubbish <laughs> all you see actually is colours but your mind looks at it wait a minute, and it also that's what the eye says. What does the nose say? Mm. That's bad. That's rubbish. Throw it away. Or you could look at it and say, that's a meal. Or you could look at something and say, it looks like noodles and tofu. Mm. Yeah, it's plastic. <laughs> because your eye, it sees something, but your mind tells you what it sees. And non-verbally. Sometimes verbally, but just the immediate impression reminds me of. And that reminded me of is called sanya, perception. And that triggers a particular feeling, vedana, pleasant, and that 
gives rise to what's called a response or sankhara. So the citta really receives the mind's perceptions of experience. And the other thing it receives um, is bodily energy. So the body jumps and the citta feels, what's that? Reactions. And if the body energy goes steady and calm, the citta goes steady and calm. So these are good things to know because it's why I'm teaching this embodied practice because uh, it's an alternative channel for citta to turn towards other than just mental perceptions which are extremely uh, unreliable and they're often biased. It's perceptual bias. What we find attractive or disgusting is quite biased. And you know, it's an interpretation. When we go to body energy, that's the direct thing where the body feels calm. The jitta tunes into that, it feels calm. Right? And so they have this synergy, operate together. It also means if we bring a calming jitta, it also has intentions. So if we bring up a calming intention or a joyful intention or something that brightens the mind, that also goes into the body and the body becomes comfortable and then the jitta picks that up and calms down. So that's the interplay between uh, jitta, mind and body. Now, of course, we can also derive skillful perceptions. What are skillful perceptions? Perceptions of impermanence. This is going to change. What does that do to the chitta? It goes, okay, just don't hang on to that. That's a skillful perception. Perceptions of seeing the danger in, in sense desire. So there's that kind of fiery, uh, recognize that? Or you followed this a thousand times, where did it take you? Uh-oh, perception, dangerous. Sweet, but dangerous. And it's just step back. Uh, perception of seeing the, um, um, the unattractive. If we, if we find ourselves obsessed with attraction, sense desire attraction, you start to introduce a perception of the unattractive. Obviously, there's the unattractive nature of food. It looks good on a plate. You put it in your mouth, you chew it for 10 seconds, it doesn't look good anymore. You get it down into your belly, you don't even know about it. <laughs> but that's the only place where it does you any good, when it gets in here. It doesn't get you, do you any good on the plate. It only starts to work in here. That's when it's actually unattractive. And yet we're attracted to something that's useless. We're not attracted to something that's useful. Because <laughs> you don't need to be attracted to it. Attraction is saying, says, about to. You, about to. It doesn't say you've got it. It says about to get it. Right? Once you've got it, you're not attracted to it anymore because you've got it. So attraction, you recognize that attraction is it's a, it's a decoy. So you recognize that. Then you can relax it because it's a certain impulse energy, like electricity, runs into the mind. Hey, so just body, feet on the ground, take a breath, 
energy current goes down. So you recognize the unattractive. Um, that's a school of skillful perception. But then there's the perception of Buddha, uh, perceptions of uh, uh, mutuality, other beings like me, gives rise to the quality of compassion and loving kindness. These are skillful perceptions you introduce. Particularly when we get obsessed with unskillful ones, you, you jam it with them. Wait a minute. So, I wish to know how to overcome the sound distractions. Focus better on my breathing. Mm-hmm. I keep getting distracted from sounds around me, people moving, doors opening, birds doing something. And this thing, obviously, I'd imagine. <laughs> Well, you have to work at it. So you you need to find something that gives you an alternative input. So this is why you use the body. And sometimes breathing is just too subtle for you. It's not strong enough yet. So then you might do walking. You feel the movement of the body. something quite physical and coarse, relatively coarse, the movement of the body. And you can experience the body moving, flowing, supple. So the, remember the body's not stiff. You want to not like stiff, it's actually fluid. As we walk, there's a fluidity to it. So then we've got something a little more tangible to attend to, and not just the physical sensations, but also when the body is walking, the, the energy of the body is very obvious. There it is. You focus on that sense of, just like you're swimming, you know, focus on that sense of the flow from the leg to the chest, the shoulders and so forth. You keep that going. It gives you something to center on. And then the rest of it is working with aversion. So we can't stop sound. This is something I've just mentioned. You, know, you don't have much say over the sense doors but you can work with aversion. And that's, that's enormously productive and intimate because that's something you can. You know, the sound is not trying to do you any harm. It has no intention to it. Yeah. So the sense of, there's the sound, and there's this sense of, stop it, stop it, stop it. Distracting me, distracting me, distracting me. And you may, if you do that for a while, then you're getting really irritated and restless. So, okay, the sound's not going to go away. How can the restlessness and irritation go away? Well, I just say, oh, hello, sound. Come on in, I welcome you. Come on, let's hear you. Let's hear you move through me. And, uh, and then it's just a phenomenon. So you create a kind of an open 
space, an open state, just hold the chitta very steady. I have a lot of practice with this um, throughout my monastic life because mostly the monasteries I've been living at were all in the process of being built. They all started out very humble and broken down and derelict. So for 20 years, it was living on a building site. So this was normal and sometimes worse than that, more than that. Because my kuti was right next to the main building site. It was like about eight meters away. And so there's people grinding stone saws to saw stone and hammering, dang, 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 dang. <laughs> See all these voices in your mind, shut up, I'm trying to get some meditation. I came here for Nibbana not to listen to things. <laughs> You know, this kind of thing goes on. It's not doing any good at all. So just the sound. Just, you know, begin to relax the heart. So the heart tries to defend itself from what it dislikes. So this is irritation. First of all, it closes to try to get away from what it dislikes. And it fights. Sends out little fight, pushing things. So it's like this. All it can do is... <laughs> like that. So if you want to stop that, you've got to stop this. It's just make the heart... Don't like this. This is better than that. Because this allows the sound to pass through. This is always fighting with it. Yeah. So it's a bit of a challenge, but eventually you get to the point when that's really that's all you can do <laughs> I guess it's rather like when you you know if you take a cold water dip you don't think oh no it's cold and I go in there oh, your feet toe in oh, it's cold cold I go in there and cold and just jumps <laughs> and then the body kind of oh it's okay <laughs> You get over it, so it's actually less difficult than taking a cold water bath. It's just gently opening. And what is sound? Just nothing really. Um, so the Buddha says, "Light arose, vision arose. What is the light, and what is the vision?" Chakung Udapadi, Jnana Udapadi, Vijja Udapadi. This doesn't mean light, like visual light, it means um, a light of wisdom. Clarity arose. And this is the clarity of knowing, Samanyana. And and so the Buddha then realizes the the end of becoming and the Four Noble Truths. So this is the realization experience. It's different from looking for something. It's like something comes to you. That's realization. So we have to be clear away the obstacles that prevent the clarity. The clarity is vidya. The main obstacle is avidya, ignorance. So clear. It says ignorance is banished. Clarity arose. So vidya 
finished, which are arose. So a sense of clear seeing things as they are. That's what he's referring to. And this is, I said, I was talking about samanyana, knowledge and the knowledge and vision of release. Ah, the fetters aren't here. There's no clinging, there's no attachment. One realizes that, or the Buddha does. If we trust in awareness, see it as timeless and eternal, would this lead to attachment to citta? Would this become another atta, or soul? Well, it's a, certainly when we use these words, you know, that, that's part of the problem. You see, so... Pure jitta is just just awareness, so we don't we experience it. The experiencing, seeing things with full awareness, but you don't you don't really see awareness. You are awareness is there, just like I don't see. I'm looking at you. I see you, but I don't see seeing. (laughs) Well, I am seeing. Do you understand? If I wasn't seeing. I wouldn't see you, but what I see is you. I don't see something called seeing. Where's the seeing gone? <laughs> it's everywhere. Well, I can't. Why can't I see it then? Because <laughs> it's not an object, you see. Now, as soon as you, well, once one gets this as an idea, you think, oh, pure awareness, jitta, then the idea is something one can attach to. Because that is something that we can hold in our mind. But pure awareness you can't hold in your mind. So, okay. <laughs> but can you, you know, give you a little story. So this um, master has, you know what a sieve is? Like you put tea in a sieve or tea strainer and then you pour water through it. So he says to the disciple, could you fill this sieve with water, please? Well, no, it will, I can't because it all streams out. You put it in a bucket, it streams out. How do, you, how do you fill the sieve with water? So he takes the sieve, he throws it in the sea. He says, yeah, it's full of water now. <laughs> That's what you do with your mind. You see, as soon as we, as soon as we try to get an idea, it's like that's the sieve. You see, then the jitter drains away, because you, you can't contain it in that. But you can let your mind drop into awareness, and this is where the mind ceases. Right? It means it it, do, it stops thinking, it stops conceiving, it stops forming things to attach to. So then you can't really attach to it because the the attaching mechanism has given up at that moment. Now if we think about it, of course we could say, oh, this jitter sounds like an eternal soul to me, oh dear, that's not allowed. Well, (laughs) maybe there is one. (laughs) But this is the problem with with trying to conceive it. So we realize. And why do we realize it? Because it makes us feel happier and clearer. We don't need to know what it is. We just know we're not suffering.
That's if that's what you know. <laughs> that you do, you can notice that. Person feels the emotions deeply and sometimes um, affected by negatives from others, seen or unseen, such as petas, hungry ghosts, are there any ways to protect oneself from it? And by getting angry makes me powerful. I feel if I soften myself like using metta, it makes me vulnerable. Uh, so how to protect chitta? How to protect one's sensitivity? It's a good question. And, um, yeah. In meditation culture, then a lot of people do chanting to, uh, if you petas, these are immaterial spirits. Um, and you may not think there are any. Maybe there are, maybe there aren't. If they're immaterial, you can't see them, so you can't prove it with your senses. But some people do experience a sense of something nagging and hungry and you know, deprived uh, that's kind of attacking them or wanting something. And certainly the forest ajans would always chant quite a lot of parita, particularly in the jungle where there are spirits, ghosts, and uh, uh, dangerous animals. So they just create this meta field. Because chanting um, has an energy to it. Uh, if you chant, you notice the energy in your body, you notice the energy in your heart, right? There's an energy to it, steady, and you're chanting, and you infuse the chanting with metta, kindness, goodwill, um, peacefulness, leave me alone, you know, this kind of thing. And it seems to create an energy field. Now, even animals will respond to this. They'll respond to people who are malevolent and angry. They'll certainly pick that up, energy up. Um, so us humans, if we're not necessarily that aware of this, because, we, because our thinking mind obscures the um, reality of the energy fields, which is not just the theory. It's an, the body has energy and it radiates energy around it. And the heart has energy and it can be detected as fields that sweep out around the body. That's even detectable in particular forms of science can detect these things. And without, even without that, we can notice um, how, you know, people really de developed meditators, you just start to feel good in their presence. You feel happy, you feel comfortable, you pick up their energy is steady, balanced and warm. And particularly people who've developed a lot of strength in this, there's a wonderful energy field that radiates around them that you can sense into. And animals certainly sense it and, and are pleased by it. And creatures that don't think pick it up. So sometimes people with, you know, dementia, thinking is gone, they're actually, they can pick up, you know, other people's energies, if they get, people are flustered or agitated or hostile or dark, they get 
then people are calm, they pick that up. So this is something certainly to develop. Um, the other, really much the same thing, because I'm saying that heart energy and body energy are very compatible or even sympathetic. So we use that sense of whole body grounded and you can connect, say, to the earth beneath you, feeling the earth beneath you, and particularly the spinal channel. So from the top of the crown or the base of the skull all the way down, you focus on, on that and connect it to the earth. It creates a certain inner strong energy channel. And you just keep referring to that. And with the attitude of other beings here, I mean no harm. Um, I am a disciple of the Buddha. You know, may you be well. I mean you no harm. I respect you. Please respect me. Just kind of general messages. This is something that the forest teachers would do when they're in the jungle. You meet a bear or a snake or something. And it's just it's okay. You know, brother, sister, may you be well. I mean no harm. This is your territory. Uh, I come in peace. And just this generally the animal kind of <laughs> getting angry makes me more powerful it, well, it, it does have a power to it but it's anger is a demon energy um, so it's a demon energy demons are powerful but it's not a it's not a healthy energy because it it, it corrodes corrodes the heart yeah it's like a you know if we do an example like take some like drugs like cocaine or heroin you feel power may feel powerful but it's actually damaging <laughs> damaging your nervous system damaging your sensitivity damaging your balance and anger is rather like that it's like a powerful chemical that runs through the system and it it, it, it has physiological damage and of course, mental damage. Yeah. So you pay for it. Better to use, try to strengthen the metta um, energies rather than the angry energies. Hmm. So self care versus attachment. Well, in a way, this is kind of comes in. A little bit from what we just what I just said, um, you know, self care is that self attachment. Well, what self care means it's just the word we use to describe caring for the heart and caring for one's well being. Like a parent looks after a, a child, saying, "Careful, don't go there. You're going to get damaged. Come back here." You know, so looks off so that the mind doesn't wander into unskillful areas. That's care. And then here's how to get refreshed. Here's how to get clean. Here's how to get fed. You know, so you, you feed and you nourish the heart by giving it right food. And uh, jitta is like an open mouth. So more as anything gets thrown in there <laughs> from the mind throws any old thing in that. Ideas, news, gossip, da -da -da, memories, throws anything in there. And not all of it's good food. Uh, 
some of it's bad food. So you've got to protect that so it knows how to close <laughs> and how to get the right food. Right food is things like the indria, enlightenment factors, mindfulness, conscious and concern. You feed on that. It nourishes the chitta. Mm-hmm. Please go ahead. Yeah. And so this is a, you know, something like this is really a, an exhortation for our our daily life, because this sense of, as I said before, giving appropriate attention for your welfare, guarding attention. Attention is saturated with sights and sounds and messages, attitudes, dispositions, fashions, trends, propaganda, politics, everything, just flood. And if you're not getting enough now, just switch on the internet, you can go completely crazy, <laughs> saturated with everything. <laughs> Tell you, <laughs> you know, then you live in this virtual reality. It's just all out there, and it's all available. <laughs> we live in a time of excess, <laughs> excess, too much. They're still hungry for more because the food isn't good. You're eating junk food. So you switch it off. Oh, I'll starve to death. No, you won't. You start. <laughs> That's what your mind thinks. And turn it towards this. And you pick up the appetite. And it's just... Reflect every day on your virtues. Reflect every day on those you care for. Reflect every day on those who care for you. Yeah. Reflect on the example of the Buddha, on your capacity to be honest. Uh, reflect on the ability to direct your attention and also to really be someone who has that prudence and care. So the citta, don't give attention in that direction or just minimal, just enough to know that's where I'm not going. <laughs> and you have to find out but it's good to consider you know Dhamma practice as a, as a, a feeding program rather than a work project <laughs> you see what I mean you could do it either way in a way yeah, it is work but it's actually it's the work of feeding yourself and you know because people we, the main thing that one of the main things that differentiates, you know, our time from the time of the Buddha, is nowadays, from I don't know, probably the age, very early age, your life is built around work. You're designed to work. You're designed to get a job, to work hard, to perhaps work harder get better results, performance. That's, that's a powerful conditioning, very powerful conditioning. You see, that's not, the time of the Buddha, that didn't happen. You know, people farming or a bit of trading, but nobody was commuting. There was no nine to five because there was no clocks. <laughs> so you don't get that pressurized drive that we've become accustomed to as if you want to do good, you, you use that. 
If you want good results, you use that business model, drive business model. Okay, so I work with a meditation. Oh, here we go. Drive into meditation. <laughs> you think, oh, I can't do it. It's just, I'm too, it's too stressful. Meditation is much too stressful. I mean, this is upside down, right? <laughs> this is called stress release. Yeah. So, but when you get these ideas like, you know, become a stream enterer, apply unremitted, constant mindfulness, diligence, awareness, and you put it onto the business model and you get that drive. And mostly what people need to know is how to relax. Relax those, those impulses and enjoy where you are and comfort yourself and calm and experience happiness in the here and now. And then the thing is, if you feed it properly, it will, by itself, it will grow. You can't go to a tomato plant and say, grow faster, grow quicker. I want you now. You just got to feed it. And if you feed it, it will grow. Because <laughs> that's its nature. And the jitta's nature is it's a, it's, a, it's a learning program. If you feed it proper food, it will grow. Like we all grew up. Nobody said, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be six foot tall. <laughs> you just did it. <laughs> Can we trust that? Yeah. And just recognize it too much drive. You don't, you don't get the receptivity to really take things in. Wisdom comes from being receptive. You're listening in. Now, of course, there's right effort. But right effort is to put aside what's unskillful. And one of the unskillful things put aside is, is compulsive working. Because <laughs> it's stressing you out. <laughs> and the feeling of harrowing guilt, like I'm not doing good enough, I should do better, I'm not very good at this, I don't meditate hard enough. You've got to stop doing that. Because it, it's, it's un, unskillful, unhelpful, damaging. This is a time to say, find some time to look after yourself in this appropriate way. And so you feel the sense of, ah, oh, you know, a little bit better. And it's like nursing it and it will grow. And you have programs like this where there's definitely a group sense in which, yeah, we're gathering together. And everybody does the, what they can, the best they can. And it's a medium effort. The same with Qigong, 70% is enough. Same with meditation, 70% maximum effort. Otherwise, you're going to get stressed and strained. Yeah. Put aside the un unwholesome. Pick up the wholesome and feed yourself on it. Then you're going to grow. Okay, when well, I'm talking about all this feeding feeding myself and self-care, I'm dropping a hint. 